Hello and welcome to this week's 60 seconds, 60 minutes even with Scottish self-build and renovation. My name is Gavin Esselmont and I am the host for today's programme. I uh, hope you've all had a great weekend. Weather's uh, been good today, it wasn't so good in Aberdeen yesterday, but uh, hopefully uh, the following week will be just as good. Uh, I'm joined today by Mike Bowermaster and Daniel Tweets of Kishorn Insulations. Uh, today we'll be finding out a bit more about spray foam insulation. Uh, Mike is going to run through it, uh, the application of spray foam and how it can contribute towards an uh, efficient insulator for both uh, new build and uh, renovated homes. Uh, if you have any questions, please uh, put them into the uh, comments feed and we'll pick them up as we uh, go through the programme. We'll, we'll wait until the end of the presentation and we'll pick them up then. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to put uh, Mike onto the screen and we're going to have a wee chat with Mike. Hello, Mike. Hi, Gavin. How are you? Uh, I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. Good. Uh, yeah, good weekend? Yep, it's been very productive. Managed to get out on the hill uh, on yesterday, so dodged some showers. Got a summit, <laughs> so very happy. <laughs> where, where were you? Uh, we're in Cairngorm. We summited Breiria, and okay. which is one one of the ones to get ticked off. So, is that how, how long does that take for the, the right uh, trip? We were five hours in total. Okay. Um, hoped to try and sneak in a ridge, but the weather was pretty foul, so it was just up and down and back home for coffee. I guess it can uh, can change quite quickly as well. I mean, uh, yeah, it's a it's a nice place because it can get quite wild, so you feel like you're you've achieved something. <laughs> Is it quite? Is it quite a you know? Is it a seasonal kind of walk? Can you do it during the winter if you're careful, or, or yeah, I'd actually tried it in winter conditions just before lockdown, but it was blowing an absolute hooey, and I thought <laughs> better of better of persevering and turned tail and headed home. So I was glad to get it done in summer conditions. <laughs> the great Scottish weather, you know, welcome yeah, to July. You know? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, Mike, tell us a bit more about uh, Kishon Installations. Yeah. So it's um. It's, we do insulation um we i'll go into a lot of detail in the actual presentation um but it's we're going from strength to strength we've certainly seen a, a big increase in demand for, for the spray foam i think as uh, more people become aware of it in terms of architects and contractors and um, but also just the general public seeing it in, in neighbors properties getting done and um, seeing our advertisements speaking to us at, at the the shows that we do such as your own one um, and hopefully this webinar will Will access a few more people that that um will see the light that is the the better way to insulate your home. And have you been impacted by COVID? I mean that old question. I mean, yeah, uh, by the way, yeah. I think uh, your your colleague Daniel's with you today as well. But we're going to try and do the 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 social distancing as much as we can. So if yes. it is a little bit, yeah. if it's a little bit kind of moving chairs, etc., uh, we're trying our best to to be compliant. But uh, yeah, yeah. So, so we we live quite close and we're good friends. So we've been in a in a in a bubble together, which has helped with getting back to work and the run up to getting back to work as well. We it's been quite difficult, but really, I mean, in terms of the construction industry and uh, just, I mean, uh, dare I say common sense comes into it a hell of a lot. I mean, I think it's... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, there's only so much you can do with a two-metre distance. And thankfully now we're able to use PPE as, as a control measure. So that certainly helps helps a lot. Um, and have you done any installations over the last kind of few weeks? Or, or is it yeah, so we've been predominantly doing new builds and retrofit projects. Um, we're making sure that any properties we go to, uh, customers are happy for us to be there. Um, we're being really strict in ensuring that all of our our, uh, our team aren't showing any signs, and if they are, then 
and um, we're making sure we, we put the measures in place so no one no one's at risk and um, so we've been very fortunate so far that, that everything's everything's gone right and um, so long may that continue great okay well we're going to have uh, you, you you guys have kindly put a presentation together so we're going to kind of put up on the screen and, and you're going to talk through it i say feel free to ask any questions it doesn't have to be the about the presentation it can be about your project uh one of the the main reason for doing these webinars is really so that everyone can learn and everyone can reach out to the help that's out there um irrespective if you're in the middle of a project or just thinking about it you know so just please use this session uh, any way that you feel feel fit so let me just put the presentation up here and uh yeah i'll, I'll hand it over to you mike brilliant thanks very much well hello there uh good evening and thank you very much for for joining us um as Gavin said, my name is Mike Barmeister, and I'm the Operations Manager for Kishorn Insulations. Tonight, we're going to be looking into airtight insulation, the key to comfort and efficiency. Uh, but first of all, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about ourselves. So we started out as a building contractor on the west coast of Scotland, building energy efficient homes. We knew that the key to energy efficiency was airtightness, whether existing in solutions used tapes and membranes, which meant that achieving an airtight building was very difficult. We started uh, searching for a better solution and stumbled across isonine. Uh, that, in short, led us to become the first isonine contractor in Scotland. And that was way back in 2008. Since then, we've become very involved with Robert Gordon's university uh, and in conjunction with isonine and researching and developing further solutions for insulating properties using isonine which has also led us to work a lot with Historic Scotland on a number of occasions. Now, any prospective job will first of all be surveyed by one of our two technical surveyors. What will happen is they'll come out and carry out a free site survey and they'll walk you through uh, the different installation options that would be suitable for your property. Excuse me. And at the end of that, they'll compile a quote for the work. Once everything's been finalised and agreed, uh, it'll be myself that gets in touch with you and we'll look to schedule the installation. We'll also make sure that everything's ready um, for when one of our two installation teams come out to install the installation to your property or new build. Now, all the products that we install are both BA and QA certified. And we're obviously a, a licensed installer of, of Isonine as well. Um, and we're Green Deal approved. Uh, which enables us to install to properties that have received grant funding from Home Energy Scotland and the Energy Saving Trust. We've also signed up to the HICS ins uh, Consumer Insurance Back Warranty Scheme um, that covers the workmanship of all of our jobs for up to two years, um, as well as a deposit protection scheme. And once the job has been complete, you'll get a 25-year uh, warranty certificate from ICN. Uh, and as I've said as well before, we've done a lot of work with Historic Scotland um, in insulating older properties that are uh, notoriously drafty. We strive to deliver the best customer service that we can from, from start to finish, and we really pride ourselves in that. Um, and it's great that we get so many happy customers at the end of their journey. Um, it really kind of makes our job worth doing when, when we hear that people had a, a successful and positive experience with us, um, and also when they see the benefit of their insulation and reduced energy bills, for instance. It's, we categorise the three different types of service that we provide as new, existing and historic. Um, all of them are, are pretty self-explanatory. Uh, obviously, with your new bills, and um, we can apply the, the foam 
in between studs, uh, straight to the OSB or in between the rafters, straight to sarking boards. Uh, we can also do underfloor or uh, intermediate floors for, for soundproofing or for further insulation. Um, it's a very positive uh, step using icing as insulation, um, not only because you get a great airtight uh, product at the end of it, but also it's a very quick installation to take place. Typically, we'll do a kind of standard new build well within a week and it's for five days, including traveling there. The other benefit of using isonine um, is the compactability of our, of our kit. So we have a van and trailer um, that we would take to site. So that's just one rig set up. Um, so specifically tight, tight accesses or, or small uh, access points and really benefit our, our um, setup uh, compared to if you had lorries with large deliveries of, of rigid board. Existing properties, uh, again, very self-explanatory. Um, we can apply to loft areas, be that um, if it's going to remain a loft or maybe looking to convert into a room and roof. Um, same as the new builds, we can do uh, apply sorry to suspended floors um, or intermediate floors. Uh, and also, if you're going to be uh, uh, retrofitting out uh, an old stone building with an offset timber frame, we're able to apply directly to the stonework um, and get in behind that, that internal stud work and um, minimizing any uh, chance of cold bridging. And again, historic, very self explanatory. We've worked with Historic Scotland and um, doing many large estate properties and um, which are inherently drafty and, and difficult to insulate and um, we developed this um, injection procedure um, with Robert Gordon's University and Isonine and um, which enables us to drill holes in lath and plaster inject the material in behind and we can insulate these old properties without having to remove that traditional lath and plaster so it's a great solution and um, for, for insulating these properties because it uh, ensures that their original character is maintained I think have a number of products that we're, we're, we have access to um, and we always look to make sure that we suit the right product to the right job. Uh, typically LDC 50, which is our most common open cell spray foam that we use, um, we use that in the vast majority of the jobs that we install to. The LDP 50, um, as I just said, is the pore derivative of that open spray foam um, that we use to inject in behind lath and plaster. There's also LDC 70, which is a, it's a slightly better U-value to it. And so if um, you're short on space uh, and can't get the full depth uh, with the LDC 50, then we can use that in certain scenarios. There's also a cavity wall closed cell foam, which is exclusively for masonry cavity walls. Um, and also it's not on this slide, but a, a closed cell foam, which we can um, apply to commercial uh, sheds and the like. I'm now going to pass you over to our director, Daniel Treats, who's going to explore tonight's title, Airtight Insulation, the Key to Comfort and Efficiency. And just while you're uh, <clears throat> changing out there, I'm just going to flash uh, Daniel up on the screen just so that uh, everyone can see who we're yeah, talking to. Good, Daniel, you okay? How are you doing? There we go. Hey, Daniel. How are you doing? Yeah. Right? Good. Good, 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 good. So just going to crack on with the, the presentation. I'll just kind of minimize this again. There we go. Is that me live? That's you live, yeah. Okay, well, I, my name's Daniel. I'm Director of Kishon Insulations, and I'm going to try and deliver the technical aspect of the uh, presentation. So today we're looking at um, air tightness. Um, air tightness, the key to comfort and efficiency. Um, 
So Mike touched on icing in the product that we install, um, but who and what is icing? Well, there are a Canadian company uh, founded in 1986 in Canada, uh, and it's a very, very green product. It uses water as the agent of expansion rather than other harmful gases, contains no formaldehyde or other chemicals like older uh, insulation did um, in the sort of post-war era. Um, and much like, unlike uh, rigid board, for instance, has a lot of harmful chemicals uh, trapped in the gas. It's an open cell product, it traps air, and that's the form of uh, insulation. It's got a rating of one on the GDWP index, the Global Warming Potential Index, um, which is unbelievably low compared to 100 plus uh, for other products. And it's a member of green building organizations across the world. Um, a great example was when it was used in health houses for asthmatics, uh, basically because there's no off-gassing because we don't trap harmful gas um, and there's no sort of harmful dust that gets generated. So it was a, it was a, a great insulation for that um, for those health houses. Um, the 36, I think that should actually be 34, but uh, significant experience um, in the, the spray foam industry. So it, it's no surprise that they're, they really are the world leader in spray foam technology. Um, it's an air barrier and an insulation which is breathable, which all sounds a bit complicated, but um, it's it basically it will stop air. Um, and moisture vapor penetrating, but it will allow any um, actual water that gets in to, to, to breathe and evaporate and eventually dry out. Um, it's much like sort of Gore-Tex, which you might be more familiar with. Um, there's a few numbers on there just to show you the standard um, and that we sort of beat the, the standard for, for the air barrier itself. And so, yeah, isonine facilitates moisture diffusion and by bi directional drying, it basically just means if it gets wet, it's allowed to dry out uh, and the insulation wouldn't be compromised. And this is just a little map at the bottom just to show where isonine is globally. Um, it's used in both hot and cold, uh, cold climates um, to keep heat either in or out, um, but it really is a world leading um, brand. Can't talk about insulation without talking about global warming. Um, you know, as David Attenborough said recently, um, insulating our homes is one of the most significant ways that we can reduce carbon emissions and save our planet. If our homes are not insulated, we use a lot more fuel than we need to. We're generating a lot more CO2 than we need to just because we have leaky buildings um, and we need to have the heater on just more and more um, because we are ultimately building inefficient buildings. Um, so that is that's a good point just to remember. Now we're talking about uh, an airtight insulation, which is a relatively new, uh, and particularly spray foam insulation, is a relatively new product to the market. I know it's been around for a long time, uh, Isonine has anyway, but certainly in Scotland, it got introduced maybe around the 80s, uh, a different type, which was very detrimental to buildings. But the new technology of going open cell spray foam is relatively new to Scotland itself although it's been around in uh, the likes of Canada for a long, long time. But when we're talking about, um, you know, developing new innovative techniques and we talk about building science, what building science is, is the study um, of the response of buildings and materials and people to heat, air pressure, moisture and sound. And insulation, particularly isonian insulation and spray foam insulation, really touches on each one of those points. So 
what I would generally ask at this point, if I had an audience, is is what do all these buildings have in common? Uh, the response we usually get is they all have walls, windows, they have a roof, they're designed for uh, humans to, to occupy. But when we're talking about building science and insulation in particular, what they all have in common is that they're all just a box of air. So the reason I say that is because effectively, we build four walls and a roof um, to artificially control our environment so it's the most comfortable for us as humans. Um, the outside air could be um, very, very low temperatures to very hot temperatures um, with relative humidity following. Um, and inside, we really want to try and maintain like sort of 20, 22 degrees, maybe a little hotter, depending on what you like. Um, and the relative humidity really should be around 50% um, because we need humid air to be able to function. Now, what nature wants to do is bring the outside conditions into equilibrium with the inside conditions, which is why we're talking about artificially controlling our box of air. So some of the laws of physics we got to remember back in the high school days, hot air rises, um, just like a hot air balloon, moisture vapor and energy flow from hot to cold and from wet to dry, not the other way around. And cold air cannot support as much moisture vapor in its gaseous state as warm air. <clears throat> now this is called relative humidity. Um, when you first touch it, it, it sounds a bit complicated, but it's relatively simple. If you look at the bottom there, there's a, there's a bit of a sort of a demonstration. What it effectively means is, um, what's the percentage of water vapor relative to that atmosphere? So at 20 degrees in the middle here, we have 52% relative humidity. Now, if you take that same quantity of water vapor and you move it down to, to the left at 10 degrees, you've suddenly got 100% relative humidity and you've hit the dew point, water will start condensing. Or you go the other way and you're at 28% relative humidity at 30 degrees. Now at 30 degrees, you've got, you, you, you can introduce much, much more water vapor than at 20 or at 10. Now to put these into like a practical uh, thing, if you go out on a very cold day, the air can be very dry and your lips start to crack because it can't hold as much relative uh, as much humidity. If you go out on a, on a very warm day and there's a lot of water vapor in the air, and it's very muggy because the warmer atmosphere can hold more water vapor. And, and we'll learn in the in the next slides um, why relative humidity is quite an important part of building science in terms of insulation. Um, some other sort of building science basics: we've got energy transfer. We've got radiation, convection, conduction, and the, the more sort of literal, not as well known uh, mass transfer. So radiation is the sun heating up surfaces, um, like the outside of your building, or heating up um, things inside your building through through the windows. We have convection, which uh, people generally know about. Uh, if you look at a pot of boiling water, it gets heated up from the bottom that hot water rises, cools, and falls back down. That's what we call the convection loop. Same happens with the uh, with the air. So convection, you, from a radiator, the hot air will rise, cool, fall back down. And again, that's the convection loop. We have conduction, which is probably the best known uh, method of energy transfer. Uh, if you look at a pot, you're, you're heating the pot uh, on your stove. Eventually, that heat's going to transfer to that handle and you're going to burn yourself. That's conduction. 
And then we have mass transfer. Now, mass transfer is, this example is a, a pot of boiling water. The energy that's being generated in escaping from heating that water is escaping through steam. And that's what's effectively called mass transfer. It's the transfer of heat through moisture vapor within the air. Um, so the important thing to note here is that insulation um, generally, um, especially in our country anyway, is tested and designed for its ability to resist conduction alone, only conduction. And we'll, we'll learn in the next slide why, why that really doesn't tell you the whole story. And that's called the U-value. So I call it the U-value myth. Now, the U-value is effectively the conductivity times the thickness. So the th it's really based on the thickness of the material. And what it's, what it's testing against is um, how long does it take for um, heat to pass from one surface of a material to the other? Um, a U-value will tell you the thicker the material, the better the U-value, the better your walls are going to perform. How they test that uh, in lab conditions is what's called the hot box. Um, they heat one side, they'll take a sort of a rigid uh, board, for instance, they'll put that in the middle, they'll heat up one side, energy will transfer through to the other, the time it takes will give you your conductivity, and you can multiply that conductivity by the thickness of the material to generate your U value. Now, this isn't taking into account anything to do with um, airflow. When we talk about U-values and trying to better our U-values as we design our building, we also start to realize that the conductive heat flow reduction diminishes the thicker um, you make your walls or the higher that you make your U-values because it's based on thickness. So if you can see there, by one, two, three, four, five, six, right, six or seven bars in from the left at 0 0.237 um, watts per meter squared Kelvin, that's where it starts to plateau out. So when you start adding thickness to your walls to try and get a better U-value, your return is really diminishing. And the problem is that it's not substantially going to save energy. It's not cost effective. Building thicker and thicker walls and not having a more efficient building is obviously not cost effective at all. U-values addresses thickness and thermal conductivity, does not address air leakage or condensation issues or, or any of the wider issues around um, the building envelope. <clears throat> and the problem for us is that energy calculations are U-value driven. They're, they're legislation, they're in our standards, and they do not give adequate credit for air barriers or other things that uh, we must consider, which makes it very, very hard to introduce new innovative products to the market. market. Yet we still know that controlling air leakage is, is a really, really big part of creating a, an uh, energy efficient home. Now, I just want to say I'm not slagging off U-values uh, completely. It's great that we have a standard that we work to, and it's great that there's onus on um, designers to, to build more efficient um, buildings. But unfortunately, U-values is just not the only thing we need to be considering. So convection, mass transfer, what does all that mean in my home? Well, homes are generally, traditional homes are, are leaky. They're, they're leaky buildings. Um, and we have various places where air leaks from a building, but in particular, we've got walls, uh, floors, walls, and ceilings, which you can see at the top right, that 
Um, so this is where all the, the air leaks within a building, 31% being floor, walls and ceilings. Now air leakage uh, in a building contribute, contributes up to 50% of your energy loss, which is, is, is a massive number considering that we don't, um, we don't really design for that, uh, for air leakage. We only design for thickness of material. Now, the, the reason I was talking about mass transfer and, and, and um, relative humidity is because in our artificially controlled environment, we have a relative humidity of 50, 60%. It's that humid air, it's that moisture vapor which is, which is holding the majority of that heat because remember we talked about mass transfer holding up to 4,000 times the heat energy of dry air. So we know that a lot of that heat energy is within uh, moisture vapor within the air. Now, we know that moisture vapor is in the air. We know that's holding a lot of heat, yet we're, let, we're letting that air escape from our buildings, um, which, which is causing a massive problem. And, it, and, it, and it, it's really a, a, an area that we need to look at a lot more and not just look at E-values. So air leakage in general. Um, there's four rules that you have to uh, bear in mind. Um, air leakage goes um, positive pressure to negative pressure. Uh, for all air that enters a building, an equal amount must leave. So you have that positive pressure pushing air in, negative pressure and um, pulling it in through sort of suction. But any that escapes, cold air must rush in to, to, to fill its place or air must rush in to fill its place. If we didn't do this, if we had a, a a building and we let all the air escape and, and nothing came in to replace it, we'd end up living in a vacuum. Nobody wants to do that. And um, force on a surface is called positive pressure and the suction on the other side of the surface is negative pressure. So that little diagram at the bottom, um, if you imagine that's a wall, that's the way um, air leakage and, and, and pressure sort of goes uh, through the walls. And uh, so it's blowing and it's pulling uh, cold air and warm air in and out of our buildings. So air moves in and out of buildings in holes in our building envelopes, okay? And that's either through wind pressure, a stack effect, or fan pressure. <clears throat> wind pressure is simple. Um, we have wind blowing on the side of our building, blowing cold air through the holes in our building envelope, um, creating a positive pressure on the outside of that wall, and then the negative pressure inside is pulling that, that uh, cold air in. That's wind pressure. Stack effects are really interesting one because we, we learned about um, uh, convection. So convection is that hot air rising. So if we've got a poorly insulated leaky roof, that convection is taking that uh, warm air that you've spent money heating. It's rising up through the roof, escaping. And then remember we said for all air that enters a building, an equal amount must leave. So you've got that warm air escaping through the roof. That cold air is then rushing in to fill its place. Uh, and then we have fan pressure, which is effectively the same, but instead of convection, it's uh, mechanically um, extracting air, much like a, an extraction fan in the bathroom. You're, you're extracting air, cold air needs to uh, rush in to, to bring it to an equilibrium. So the reason that we have leaky buildings, and one of the very big reasons that we saw 31% in in the so we said 50% of um, energy loss is down to air leakage and 31% of that is through the the walls the roof and the floor 
It's a lot of the time due to scheduling and budget constraints, because uh, it makes it very difficult to guarantee um, high workmanship every time. Now, traditionally, we use um, pre-manufactured elements, like a glass wool that's been manufactured off-site, or a, or a um, rigid board that's been manufactured off-site. Now, if we look at that um, image to the right, the image to the right with the, the one to the left is the manufacturer's um, recommendation of how that insulation should be installed. And even in that picture, there's gaps around the outside. But if you installed it like that, you cut your, your sockets very neatly, you cut your wires very neatly, that's what it should look like. But the reality is obviously incredibly different. Um, so the image to the, to the right shows the reality. Um, just people just don't have time to do these things properly. And which results in gaps around the insulation and therefore results in air leaking out through the building. And glass wool effectively traps air within the fibres, which is what's creating the insulation. And as soon as you compress that, the it's no longer an insulation. It is pretty ineffective. Uh, it'll also sag down the wall over time. Um, so glass wool in particular, we're trying to make it stay vertical or, or stay at an angle within our roofs. Um, but really, the, the only place... It's, it's, um, it can be used reasonably effectively as flat on a ceiling. Some other examples I've seen of, of poor installation of insulation. This is glass wool, lots of little offcuts to try and avoid wastage. You can see it sagging. Um, there's, there's a general um, you know, lack of knowledge um, around the construction industry. Uh, about how to create um, efficient uh, wall envelopes. You know, when I went through my trade as a joiner, um, I know I wasn't particularly focused on uh, achieving a certain standard in, in insulation. It was really just to get it in there. So, um, and, the, and this is the kind of thing that, that happens. This is a rigid board and trying to trying to cut that into place. You see how there's a, there's a stud there to probably to catch the plasterboard and there's a gap behind it. They haven't managed to get the insulation in behind that gap, so that's a that's a big empty spot, and um, the the homeowner there has really been ripped off, uh, and has been left with a really drafty building. But even if that was filled, you can see the joints, and the reason that's not one sheet is probably because they're trying to reduce wastage um, by using small little offcuts, and that's that's the result. One project I saw recently, there was a mountain of offcuts in the middle of the floor. Um, obviously, we're in Scotland, we build a lot of timber frame um, homes. And although ideally we'd like every um, bay to be 600 millimetres and we can just put nice, neat cuts in there, the reality is very different. We've got, we've got openings of, of all different sizes, not to mention wood bows. Uh, you know, it's an organic material. It moves in different ways. And not to mention the house moves over time, which means if you have a rigid board or a glass wool, and that house moves, suddenly that, even if you had a perfect insulation, installation, suddenly um, it's all off kilter. And the wastage is obviously a massive problem in that. So this is a little bit about vapor diffusion. This is to highlight uh, the problem with um, letting copious amounts of water um, escape into your walls. So vapor diffusion is very, very natural, uh, a healthy process for, through, uh, standard size of gypsum board, plasterboard. Um, vapor diffusion, um, just the migration of moisture by moisture pressure internally, will generate about a third of a litre of water over this, this heating season. 
um, which is fine, it's controllable. What we do is try and put VCLs, vapor control layers behind the plasterboard to try and make sure that that water doesn't diffuse into the into the um, into the wall and, and, and create problems. Now this is on a perfect sheet of gypsum board. If we go and punch a hole into that gypsum board and to put a, a socket in there, for instance, now suddenly we have up to 30 liters of water entering that building, and that's a problem. That's a big, big problem. Now, what we try and do is put vapor control layers, but they're obviously very ineffective. Um, generally, sort of uh, plastic sheets that you're stapling in place. But when your electrician comes around and punches a, a hole in the wall, they don't generally have any regard for the VCL layer. Um, and this is happening in particular because it's no longer diffusing through that material. It's, it's the, the moisture vapor within the atmosphere. It's that relative humidity. With, and that air, we're allowing that air to escape through holes in the building envelope, much like this plug socket. And that that humid air is then escaping into our wall, into our walls, and it's creating a big problem. Um, we could end up getting interstitial condensation in some places, um, and effectively uh, causing big problems for our walls. I've seen some examples of um, building envelopes which all appear fine where the VCL is intact. And then if you take the plasterboard off around that plug socket, you can see lots of mold growth around that plug socket. That isn't vapor diffusion. That isn't um, actual moisture. That's that's um, vapor. That's moisture vapor within the air condensating behind the plasterboard, maybe behind the VCL. So that's why we want to create an airtight insulation. So I'll try and summarize the best I can. Um, <clears throat> So we looked at uh, relative humidity. So we know that um, within our buildings, we artificially control our atmosphere and we heat up our atmosphere and that hot air can hold more humidity. So it's got about 50, 60% relative humidity. It's that humidity, it's that moisture vapor that's holding the heat that we're generating. Now, we know that there's lots of holes in our building envelope and so that heat's escaping through the air and cold air is rushing in to fill its place. Um, and so that is why we need an airtight insulation. And then the other one that I touched on was um, the moisture within that air. If, if you're using a product that, uh, that allows for, um, for moisture vapor to enter your wall uh, and then not dry out, then you're going to have you know, problems with mold growth in the inside of your wall, which is, is, is a big, big issue. So if it's, if it's um, an air barrier as well, that VC, we also put VCLs on, but in reality, uh, that air barrier is sufficient enough to, to stop that, um, that moist air entering your walls and causing the big issues. So hopefully I've summarized. Uh, People could have quite, uh, should have questions around this, and then I, I might be able to go into a bit more detail. But basically, with isonine, um, the benefits are we're controlling that moisture vapor, we're controlling that condensation of mold. There's a lot of structural integrity, which I haven't touched on because we're talking about air leakage control. But the structural integrity, because the insulation it, itself adheres to the surfaces that it's applied to, and it's very durable. It improves indoor air quality, the health of the building, the occupant, because we said at the start, there's no harmful off-gassing or anything like that. It controls drafts because it's airtight. Um, I was on a, I think one of our surveyors was on a project recently, maybe last year, um, and he, he took a plug socket off just to look behind and he saw just a bit of dirt hanging 
and it was flapping in the wind because there was so much draft there. So something like isonine will, will help control that. It obviously improves any energy conservation, so David Attenborough would be very happy. Sound attenuation is very good. It's very, uh, very good. We, we had uh, a case study in a hotel where there was an issue between two rooms and, and it wasn't very good um, sound qualities and, and isonine really fixed that. And then it's, it's very good for hard to treat areas. So I'm going to flick through a couple of photographs so you can sort of see it in action. So, sorry for the poor quality, but this is a good example of, of a curved roof. So immediately, if you've not got, um, you know, cuboid dimensions, um, you know, 90 degree angles and flat surfaces, it's very hard for you to um, fit a um, rigid board or something like that against these surfaces. Now, in this case, it, it's sprayed applied. So it fills the area that you that you apply, and this is a this is a, a fascinating example because it uses engineering joists, and the insulation is allowed to to sit in between all those joists, so it, it reduces cold bridging as well. So it's got double benefits in this case. Here is just a big project somebody did with isonine. Um, again, very very difficult to to treat with other insulation types, um, but with isonine, it's an it's an absolute breeze. Um, also, you're working above your head. Um, you're not having to lift heavy materials. Instead, you're spraying it into place and it's adhering to the structure. Um, just a typical new build that I think we've done, uh, just to, so you can see what that looks like. And obviously, this uh, is a very organic shape next to impossible to do with any, uh, any other material other than a spray foam technology such as this. Okay, well, thank you very much for listening. I'm going to pass over to Mike to field any questions, and if there's anything technical, I'll jump back on and answer. Thanks, Daniel. That was uh, that was interesting. It's uh, it's looking at some of the the images you got there. Uh, it's I'm curious as to how when you spray the isonine in, how, how do you how do, what's the finish like? So if you're going to be uh, I don't know. I guess you have to put another layer on top of that, uh, or do you paint? Or, or... <laughs> um, if, if it's a new build, um, obviously there'll be specific U values that we'd have to have to hit, and um, that really determines the depth. Um, generally, we're finding that we'll do a full um, a full stud depth of say 145, 150 mil, um, and then they're needing to to add an addition to that a 25 mil board of Celatex in order to hit these these U values, which Daniel's uh, gone into great detail about. Um, with a standard retrofit installation where we don't have a U value to hit, um, 150 millimeters is, is really our magic number for, for an open spray application. Of course, when it comes to injection in behind wall linings, so your lath and plaster, um, 150 mil, it, it's just not possible to hit that. Um, on average, we find that the gap can be anything from from 80 mil to 100 mil in these instances. And of course, again, as Daniel said with that example of removing the plug socket and, and seeing the wind blowing, anything we can put in there is, is gonna greatly improve the, the, the thermal efficiency of the building. And in terms of, just a couple of questions before we get stuck into other questions. Just for me, in terms of the actual application, when you're, whether it's a new build or an existing home, uh, that sort of application is it quite messy? Yeah, is it very, smelly? Um, is it is it 
it, it is quite messy simply because you're you're spraying a foam uh, onto a surface. Um, we, we pride ourselves in, in, in keeping things as tidy as we can so the team fully mask out our work areas. Um, we like to leave things cleaner than, than when we find it, um, which has been some positive feedback from a lot of customers who are, who are impressed with that. Um, it is messy, but yeah, it's a small cost to pay for, for, for good installation in some respects. Yeah. I, guess, I guess the reality is it's going exactly. to be an empty room yeah. or an empty house. It's not going to be... You're not yeah. going to have furniture in it and all that sort of stuff. It's going to be pretty, pretty, pretty bare bone as well. So, great. No, thanks very much for that, uh, Daniel. That was really, it's really good. Uh, we had a couple of questions in when we were on uh, on the presentation. We also had some come in just before as well. So I'm going to um, fire these up onto the uh, up on the screen. Um, so the first one that we had, we received was uh, about uh, an existing granite building uh, in Aberdeen, uh, what should we be considering <clears throat> when looking at how to improve the thermal properties of the building? So I guess this question may relate to a cold drafty granite house. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming here, um, but yeah, maybe there's, is there a, a, an application that could could be applied to an existing house that's three stories? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it very much depends on on what the makeup of the building is. So without knowing specifics, it will be a, a broad general answer. Um, if we're able to access the, the underfloor area and it's it's greater than uh, half a metre of depth, then we can apply to that area. And um, as I've said already, we can inject in behind any bath and plaster wall linings. Um, we are able to inject in behind plasterboard linings, but if there's any installation insulation in there already, that would obviously have to come out, which involves a lot more work. And um, so it's very rare that, that we would uh, do that type of installation. Um, but roofs as well. I mean, roofs are really big cold sink areas in properties. You know, you, as Daniel said, you've got your big, your warm box of air that you're trying to, to regulate. Um, and you've only got a thin, possibly old, possibly squished layer of glass wool on your, your top floor ceiling. And then above that, it's it's a big cold space as we all know in our lofts. So, um, by installing the insulation to the the circuit boards and the rafters, and um, we're creating a warm roof area, um, which keeps that loft uh, environment and atmosphere, sorry, um, very similar to, to other build other rooms in the property. And um, so yeah, there's a lot that can be done with with roof installation, uh, loft insulation. I guess guarantees and the kind of the the, the thermal properties that are created by the proper application of, of insulation, whether it's the board, whether it's a spray foam. I mean, what do you typically get in terms of a, a you know, a guarantee? Is there maintenance you have to continue doing or? Yeah, so the, the foam itself, because there's no chemicals in it, and um, the, the thermal efficiency of that product when it's applied will be the same for the life, life of that building. And um, if you compare that to, to rigid board, it's got um, chemicals blown into it. Uh, over time, they, they dissipate and they, they off-gas. So in 25 years, 50 years' time, your rigid board will not have the same thermal efficiency then as it did when it was installed. And um, I don't know if you've ever had an old bit of rigid board and you rub the edges and it just turns into dust and powder. And that's because it's just it's aged and it's just losing its, its, its integrity. And um, because the foam is just trapping air, it can't... It can't become bad <laughs> basically um, but of course and I isoning um, would or we, we uh, issue a 25 year isoning warranty 
for, for all of our installations. Um, in Canada, I think they, they actually issue it for the life of the building, but um, we're, we're not allowed to do that over here. It has to be a, a specific time frame. Okay, good, thank you. Uh, another question we've had in about uh, the roof space, which we were just talking about there. So how is ventilation yeah. of the roof space maintained to a suitable standard to avoid humidity and damp? Yeah, okay, so partly half answered that one already. Um, so once uh, we've installed to the roof area, and um, as I say, the atmosphere is then very similar to, to other rooms in the property. Um, as it, your standard roof is just now, it's a cold roof structure. So you have to have that ventilation in there in case of any um, humidity buildup. So that can allow to, to evaporate through that airflow. But once we've installed the isoning to that roof area, it creates a warm roof. So there isn't that huge temperature difference for any um, moisture, uh, moisture laden air as it transfers into that environment. It's not going to suddenly saturate like Daniel described with um, relative humidity. So there's, there's no chance if there is a buildup, say from a, a leak or something of that nature. And because of the open cell structure of the foam and um, that moisture would diffuse through it um, and evaporate out. And when we're talking about the roof space, there's obviously the, the space on some houses, ground floor and below, um, that void in some of the, the kind of houses that I've lived in in the past, you know, you could lift, you could lift the, the floor hatch, you could basically see the ground. I mean, uh, curious where Daniel mentioned that heat obviously rises. Um, do you need to do anything in the, in the ground floor, under the ground floor? Could that be treated or... Yeah, so it, it is something that we install to. Um, obviously, in those scenarios, we make sure that we leave the, the ventilation system open for that area, just for any ground moisture that, that can come up through there. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, depending, is, again, where the property is, if it's on top of a hill or if it doesn't have any, um, any trees or anything around about it and you're in an exposed location, you've got wind constantly blowing through, through that solar ventilation. Uh, and as it's blowing through, it's drawing all of that warm air that might be, be in the property away with it. Um, so it is absolutely yeah, a, a, a source of heat loss as well. well good. Um, a couple more questions come in. Um, is someone commissioning the insulation installation to ensure that the efficiency is up to the initial spec? So I guess... Um, do you have a building inspector that comes in, or is there is there like an isoning? Um, yeah. So, what what um, a part of our our uh, Green Deal approved accreditation um, shows that we have to be installing things to the correct standards specified by the manufacturer um, and and carrying out um, that that quality assurance. So, what we do as a as a company is our installers will take photos of every job. That they install to so we can make sure that everything is is as we've quoted and um, and uh, it's all been installed pro properly as well we also do and um, myself and daniel all do site visits as well and um, we do regular training with our team uh, with icing representatives to make sure that, that everything is is as it should be and um, okay another question here uh regarding listed buildings uh are there any restrictions using foam in listed buildings so we've not come up against any. Um, as I said, we, we've done a lot of work with Historic Scotland and they were on their approved contractors list. So, so we've installed under with their blessing. Um, but I'd say it's always worth um, getting in touch with them uh, or 
to make sure that they're happy with with it to go ahead. And um, it normally involves us kind of having to to send forward our procedures and exactly how we're going to undertake the work and um, to to satisfy their requirements. And um, but because we're not changing the structure or anything of the building, um, and we're maintaining the the character and um, through our pro our installation process, that we generally don't have any issues with that. But always worth getting in touch with them to make sure that they're they're happy for it to go ahead. Yeah. Another question from uh, Fiona uh, with regard to retrofit. Mm -hmm. um, how do you make sure that there is no air leakage at junctions between the walls and the, the ground floors? Okay, so um, when we're, we're injecting into um, that cavity and say a lath and plaster, um, we, we use both products. So we'll use the spray initially to, to seal the bottom of the wall and then we'll inject the pore material on top and we track its its um, expansion with a, a thermal heat thermal imaging camera. And um, with the expansion process, it gives off a, a degree of heat, so it's really easy and obvious to to see where we're installing, and we can make sure that we're getting the whole cavity filled um, as we'd expect it to be. And um, just in case we have come up against in the past rogue dwangs in there and and bits and pieces that you wouldn't expect in the in the build up, so and um, we do that to make sure we, we get everywhere insulated that we need to get. And the, the more traditional approach, using the boards, I guess the problem would exist there as well, perhaps yeah. perhaps more because of the nature of the rigid boards versus the kind of the foam insulation spray. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, how, how would they do it? I mean, would they, uh, would they obviously try and get a tight fit with each of the boards and then ultimately try and get some sort of seal uh, where there is any gaps or do the gaps? Yeah, generally, yeah, you use tape on, on top of all the gaps of the board, but Again, you've, you've got an extra process, an extra time constraint um, for the contractors when they're installing that. So um, I imagine most of them do, but obviously it's it's making the job a lot longer. Whereas with the foam, it's a quick squirt of the gun and you've got everything all rolled up in one. And mm. it's a, a much, much quicker and efficient way to, to install ins installation. This is probably a crazy question to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway. In terms of the actual application of the foam, uh, if you had... Let's just say that you're doing a new build and it was a relatively straightforward new build. It's got four walls. It's because uh, I'm assuming that we're just putting the foam on the external walls as opposed to any 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 internals. But if you had a straightforward um, two up, two down house, you know, how long would that take to apply the insulation across the um, area? We generally easily do it in, in four to five days. Um, and that'll be applying the foam and then trimming it back so it's flush with with studs. And if it's a, a half story above, then again, we need to make sure that that's trimmed back to the rafter face um, and the coomb sections. And so it is a very, very quick uh, process. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's generally easily four to five days. The hardest part is if we've got to travel the length of the country. <laughs> of course, well, that's... Uh... There must be some beautiful kind of drives th through uh, through Scotland to get to your clients. Yeah. Yeah. I guess uh, you know. Just go back to the retrofit. And thanks, Fiona, for the question. Um, in terms of the retrofit, I mean, you mentioned there about injection. Can you go in from outside? Is that I mean, is that typically how that would happen? Or you you certainly could. Um, for the likes of the lath and plaster and the the old construction buildings, it's it's definitely better to do it internal and. Um, because as soon as you start drilling holes externally, you've, you've got a much bigger job to, to seal it off afterwards. Um, and if there's any delay from a, a, a mason coming in behind us, 
uh, there's always a risk of, of um, moisture getting in there, and um, which obviously you want to to avoid in the first instance. So from inside, it's always better. But obviously, if it's a, a block cavity wall, and um, then that would be drilled from the outside, and um, similar grid pattern that we would use internally. And um, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a rarer construction type in Scotland because we've got uh, timber timber kits with block, and um, so obviously we, we can't install that closed cell foam into those wall cavities. All right, good stuff. Um, that's it just now in terms of the questions. That, that's been really good. Uh, I think, uh, you know, in terms of people wanting to get in touch with, with Kishore and uh, to talk about their projects, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, so if you jump on our website, which is kishoreinstallations.co.uk, um, scrolling along the bottom perfectly timed, uh, we've got a web inquiry form on there. Um, there's also a lot of information and case studies as well from projects we've done. Um, Facebook as well, we've got uh, uh, some links there to our website and some videos that have got some um, capturing ability for, for people's inquiries. Um, we do have a phone line as well, but um, it's uh, typical of the West Coast, it's uh, intermittent at best, so, so email is absolutely the, the, the best form of uh, getting in touch with us. Um, and as soon as anything comes through, um, we forward it on to one of our technical surveyors, if it's either East Coast or, or West Coast based. Uh, and they'll they'll give uh, any inquiries a, a call and a chat, and we can take things from there. Yeah, and you guys are quite uh, quite active on Facebook. I've noticed quite a lot of questions getting uh, getting shared on Facebook, which is great because again, yeah. it's not you know the the people asking the questions get an answer, but everyone else is learning from that as well. And I think it's good yeah, that you get guys... uh, one one of Daniel's big things is to keep our our uh, answer rate high. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Okay, thanks, uh, Mike and uh, Daniel. I really appreciate you to, you guys taking the time out. Thanks for having us. Amazing. And uh, I am going to introduce our next webinar. It's uh, Tinto Architecture Interiors and You. They're on uh, next. Sorry, it's 9th of August. I, I was thinking August. It can't be August yet, but it is. It's no, just uh, it's next by. week. Uh, so we've got Richard Tinto of Tinto Architecture Interiors and you, they will be discussing why a self-build or renovation is the best way to upsize. Um, I was having a bit of fun with Richard just a couple of days ago. Um, he's going to try and stir things up a little bit um, and have a bit of a debate going as well. So we'll see if that happens, uh, but certainly it should be one to, to watch. That's Sunday the 9th of August at 7pm. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's uh yeah i'm still surprised it's, it's august next week but hey ho uh thank you very much everybody uh i really appreciate you guys coming uh on on to watch this we will be again back in a couple of weeks and if you've got any questions for kishore in the meantime uh please feel free to get in touch with them uh on their facebook page on their website and their good old uh good old phone as well but remember for that uh that west coast uh west coast <laughs> <laughs> okay guys thank you very much take care thank you thanks very much yeah bye-bye bye now bye, -bye. bye, -bye.